Welcome back to the Mahabharat podcast. The dog and the sons of King Parikshit from the Adi Parva, the Balshya Parva, chapter 3.1. After hearing the introductory lamentations of King Didrashtra and the descriptions of how the Mahabharata has been passed down, and the summary of the Parvas and story by Sutta Goswami, we will now enter the first story, which creates a domino effect of backstories. These backstories occur after the advents of Krishna, the Bandavas and Gauravas, that lead to the recitation of the Mahabharata to the great-grandson of the immortalized hero, Arjun, King Janamejaya. The story in this way starts by going back to the future. The Pandavas have vanquished the Kauravas in a hard-fought battle. Yudhishthira has ruled the Kuru kingdom for 36 years, and he and his brothers have ascended to the heavens after installing the grandson of Arjun, Parikshit, to the throne. Parikshit and his wife, Madravati, have five children, four boys and a girl, their eldest being Janamejaya. Born second is Shrutasena, and third, named after his heroic great-grand-uncle Bhim, is Bhimsen, and then Ugrasen. Finally, a girl is also said to be born called Uttara, after her grandmother. After being installed to the Kuru throne when he was 36 years old and reigning for 60 years as king, Parikshit had a complication with the young sage Rishi Shringa, who cursed Parikshit to die. After his death, Janamajaya took to the throne. And here is where the Sutta begins his story. Janamajaya, the eldest son of Parikshit, was with his brothers, attending a sacrifice on the plains of Kurukshetra, the vast raft of land where his ancestors had slain the Gauravas and that where the warrior sage Barshuram had created five lakes of blood, the Samantha Panchaka, having destroyed the race of Kshatriyas 21 times. It is also on that site that the Pandavas had performed rites before the Battle of Kurukshetra. As Janamajaya and his three brothers were sitting at the sacrifice, there arrived at the spot an offspring of Sarama, the celestial dog. And belaboured and tormented by the brothers of Janamejaya, who threw stones at the young dog, he ran away to his mother, crying in pain. And his mother, seeing him crying exceedingly, asked him, Why criest thou so? Who hath beaten thee? And being thus questioned, he said to his mother, I have been belaboured by the brothers of Janamajaya. And his mother replied, Thou hast committed some fault for which thou hast been beaten 
He answered, I have not committed any fault. I have not touched the sacrificial butter with my tongue, nor have I even cast a look upon it. His mother Sarama, hearing this, and much distressed at the affliction of her son, went to the place where Janamejaya and his brothers was at a long extending sacrifice. And she addressed Janamejaya in anger. This, my son, hath committed no fault. He hath not looked upon your sacrifice, nor has he touched it with his tongue. Wherefore hath he been beaten? They said not a word in reply. Whereupon she said, As ye have beaten my son, who hath committed no fault, thereupon evil shall come upon ye, when ye least expect it. Janamejaya, thus addressed by Sarama, became exceedingly alarmed and dejected. And after the sacrifice was concluded, they returned to Hastinapur and began to take great pains in searching for a Purohit or priest who could, by procuring absolution for his sin, neutralize the effect of the curse. One day, Janimajaya, the son of Brikshit, whilst hunting, observed in a particular part of his dominions a hermitage where dwelt a sage of fame, Shrutashrava. He had a son named Somashrava, deeply engaged in asceticism, being desirous of appointing that son of the sage as his priest, Janimajaya saluted the sage Shrutashrava and addressed him, O possessor of the six attributes, let this thy son be my priest. The sage thus addressed answered Janamajaya, O Janamajaya, this is my son, deep in ascetic devotions, accomplished in the study of the Vedas, and endued with the full force of my asceticism, is born in the womb of a she-snake that had drunk my vital fluid. He is able to absolve thee from all offences, save those committed against Mahadev Shiva. But he hath one particular habit. He would grant to any Brahmana whatever might be begged of him. If thou can put up with this, then thou take him. Janamajaya, thus addressed, replied to the sage, It shall be even so. And accepting him for his priest, he returned to his capital. And he then addressed his brothers, saying, This is the person I have chosen for my spiritual master. Whatsoever he may say must be complied with by you without examination. And his brothers did as they were directed. And giving these directions to his brothers, King Janamajaya marched towards Dakshyashila and bought that country under his authority. The Mahabharata begins in this way 
with a small story, but one that illustrates themes, many of which will continue. Injustices, no matter how small, do not vanish into thin air. The puppy of Sarama was young. There may have been many such puppies around, but the miscalculation on the part of the brothers of Janamajaya attracted a chain reaction of events to which no one can tell how big or how small these will end up being. Secondly, whilst we may have a bias, we can be conscious of it. Sarama asked her son, what did you do wrong? He said he did nothing. And then she went in a fit of rage, seeking to clarify the situation and bring justice to it. Though her questioning assumed her son may have done something, she took the steps to clarify. She did not ignore it or wish it away or tell her son off for causing trouble with the highly esteemed royal family. And thirdly, we should go into things with our eyes open. The father of Somashrava, who the king sought out, Shrutashrava, cited that whilst his son is highly ascetically and devotionally elevated, he cannot refuse a brahmana what they may ask for. This shows the vetting process before fixing a royal dependency on the new priest. It was a risk and one that was accepted in this case at this stage. How would it manifest? There is no certainty. The Master and the Three Disciples from the Adi Parva, Bolshya Parva, Chapter 3.2. At around the same time, as a parallel story, there was a sage called Ayoda Domya. Ayoda Domya had three disciples Upamanyu, Aruni, and Veda. The sage firstly asked Aruni, to go and stop breach in the watercourse of a certain field. Aruni, thus ordered by his preceptor, repaired to the spot. And having gone there, he saw that he could not stop the breach in the watercourse by ordinary means, and he was therefore distressed. After contemplation, he thought, Well, I will do it this way. He then went down to the breach and lay down himself there, and somehow the water became confined. And after some time, the preceptor Ayodhadhomya asked his other disciples where Aruni of Banchal was, and they answered, O oh Master, he hath been sent off by you saying, go stop the breach in the watercourse on the field. Thus reminded, Dolmya, addressing his pupils said, then let all of us go to that place where he is. And having arrived there, he shouted, O Aruni of Banjal, where art thou? Come hither, my child. And Aruni, Hearing the voice of his master, 
speedily came out of the watercourse and stood before him. And addressing the latter, Aruni said, I am here in the breach of the watercourse, not having been able to devise any other means, I entered myself for the purpose of preventing the water running out. It is only upon hearing thy voice, having left it, I salute thee. Master, tell me what I have to do. The preceptor, thus addressed, replied, Because my words have been obeyed by thee, thou shalt obtain good fortune, and all the Vedas shall shine in thee. Dhaumya next appointed Upamanyu, saying, Go, my child, Upamanyu, look after the kine, the cows. And according to his preceptor's orders, he went to tend the kine. And having watched them all day, he returned in the evening to his preceptor's house, and standing before him, he saluted him respectfully. And his preceptor, seeing him in good condition of body, asked, Upamanyu, my child, upon what dost thou support thyself? Thou art exceedingly plump. And he answered, O master, I support myself by begging. And his preceptor said, What is obtained in alms by begging should not be used by thee without offering it to me first. And Upamanyu, thus told, went away. Having obtained alms, he offered the same to his preceptor, and his preceptor took from him even the whole. As Upamanyu, thus treated, went to attend the cattle, and having watched them all day, he returned in the evening to his preceptor's abode. And his preceptor, perceiving that he continued to be of good condition of body, said unto him, Upapmanyu, my child, I take from thee even the whole of what thou obtainest in arms, without leaving anything for thee. How then dost thou, at present, contrive to support thyself? And Upapmanyu said to his preceptor, O master, having made over to you all that I obtain in arms, I go begging a second time for supporting myself. And his preceptor then replied, This is not the way in which thou should obey the preceptor. By this thou art diminishing the support of others that live by begging. Truly, having supported thyself so, Thou hast proved thyself covetous. Upapmanyu, having signified his assent to all that his preceptor said, went away to attend to the cattle, and having watched them all day, he returned to his preceptor's abode. His preceptor, observing that he was still in a healthy condition, said again unto him, Upapmanyu, my child, I take from thee all thou obtainest in alms, and thou dost not go a-begging a second time. 
and yet thou art still in healthy condition. How dost thou support thyself? And Upapmanyu thus questioned, answered, O master, I now live upon the milk of these cows. And his preceptor told him again, It is not lawful for thee to appropriate the milk without having first obtained my consent. Upapmanyu, having assented to the justice of these observations, went away to tend to the kine. And when he returned, his preceptor, seeing that he was still healthy, said, Upapmanyu, my child, thou eatest no longer of arms, nor dost thou go begging a second time, nor even drinkest the milk, yet thou art healthy. By what means dost thou contrive to live on now? And Upapmanyu replied, O master, I now sip the froth that these calves throw out whilst sucking their mother's teats. And the preceptor said, These generous calves, I suppose, out of compassion for thee, throw out large quantities of froth. Wouldst thou stand in the way of their full meals by acting as thou hast done? Know that it is unlawful for thee to drink this froth. Upapmanyu, having signified his assent to this, went as before to tend to the cows, and restrained by his preceptor, he feedeth not on arms, nor hath he anything else to eat. He drinketh not the milk, nor tasteth he the froth. Poor Upapmanyu, one day oppressed by hunger, when in a forest, ate the leaves of the arca, his eyes being affected by the pungent acrimonious crude and saline properties of these leaves that he had eaten, became blind. And as he was crawling about, he fell into a pit. And upon his not returning that day, when the sun was sinking down, behind the summit of the western mountains. The preceptor observed to his disciples that Upamanyu was not yet come, and they told him he had gone out with the cattle. The preceptor then said, Upamanyu, being restrained by me from the use of everything, doth not come home until it be late. Let us then go in search of him. And having said this, he went with his disciples into the forest and began to shout, O Upamanyu, where art thou? And Upamanyu, hearing his preceptor's voice, answered in a loud tone, Here I am at the bottom of the well. And his preceptor asked him how he happened to be there. And Upamanyu replying, Having eaten of the leaves of the Arka plant, I have become blind, and so I have fallen into this well. And his preceptor thereupon told him, Glorify the twin Ashvinis, the joint physicians of the gods, and they will restore thee 
thy sight. And Upamanyu, thus directed by his preceptor, began to glorify the twin Ashvinis in the many words of the Rig Veda. After some time, the two Ashvinis, thus invoked, appeared and said, We are satisfied. Here is a cake for thee. Take and eat it. And Upamanyu, thus addressed, replied, Your words, O Ashvinis, have never proved untrue. But without first offering this cake to my preceptor, I dare not take it. And the two Ashvinis thereupon told him, Formerly thy preceptor had invoked us. We thereupon gave him a cake just like this, and he took it without offering it to his master. Do thou what thou preceptor hast done. Thus addressed, Upamanyu again said to them, O Ashvinis, I crave your pardon. Without offering it to my preceptor, I dare not apply this cake. The Ashvinis then said, O Upamanyu, we are pleased with this devotion of thine to thy preceptor. Thy master's teeth are of black iron, thine shall be of gold. Thou shall be restored to sight and have good fortune. Thus spoken to by the Ashvinis, Upapmanyu recovered his sight, and having gone to his preceptor's presence, he told him all. His preceptor was pleased and said unto him, Thou shalt obtain prosperity, even as the Ashvinis have said. All the Vedas shall shine in thee. And so was the trial of Upapmanyu. Then Veda, the other disciple of Ayodhadomya, was called. His preceptor once addressed him, saying, O Veda, my child, tarry some time in my house and serve thy preceptor. It shall be to thy profit. And Veda, having signified his assent, tarried long in the family of his preceptor, mindful of serving him like an ox under the burthens of his master he bore heat and cold hunger and thirst at all times without a murmur and it was not long before his preceptor was satisfied and as a consequence of that satisfaction veda obtained good fortune and universal knowledge and so was the simple trial of Veda. And Veda, having received permission from his preceptor and leaving the latter's residence after the completion of his studies, entered the domestic mode of life. And while living in his own house, he got three pupils. And Veda never told them to perform any work or obey implicitly his own behests. For himself, Having experienced much woe while abiding in the family of his preceptor, he liked not to treat his own disciples with severity. How well do we understand the need for discipline? Where do we draw the lines? Perhaps some may like to inflict 
what they have been through to the next generation or to others, whilst others may like to put an end to the cycle that they may deem as negative by being an alternative example. The story of Ayodhya and his three disciples provides a good ground to contemplate this dynamic.